0: My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here at Harvest Church. It's a joy to gather, special joy to welcome you if you are a guest here this morning. If you would, join me in prayer before our holy God for his blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, we know that nothing happens good here this morning unless you bless it, unless you act. We ask for your spirit now to empower your word. Would you give us ears to hear your truth, a heart to respond and worship, and a life that would be transformed for the glory of your Son? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he placed man in this beautiful, wonderful garden, and things were perfect. It was, whoa, it was paradise and it was paradise. There's maybe some winds there. It was paradise. Man was with God, and God was with man. There was no barrier between man and God. The full blessing of God to be enjoyed by man. But as we know in the story, sin breaks in. Adam and Eve transgressed the law of God, and now God is not a blessing. He's, He's cursed them and he's to be feared and judgment comes on them for their sin and and what happens they're kicked out of the garden barrier gets inserted in between god and man it's not beautiful wonderful fellowship anymore pain and suffering and tribulation is now on the earth and man's sin has corrupted his nature What is God going to do? Is he going to forsake his creation? Is he going to forsake humanity? He would have all the right to do so. No, he doesn't forsake them. Though judgment comes in that moment, a promise is given in Genesis 3.15 that a Messiah was going to come and crush the head of the snake, bring man back into his presence. Beautiful promise. God's not forsaking humanity. He's not forsaking his creation. No, he's in passionate pursuit of his creation. He loves humanity. He's not going to sit up in heaven and be idle. He's coming after humanity and that takes incredible, significant shape in Genesis 12 when God calls Abraham or Abram. And listen to this promise, this call of pagan worshiper Abram. God shows up to him and he says this in Genesis 12, verse two, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Why is God calling Abram So that, this is so crucial, this so that here in this verse, so that all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's why I'm pouring out my blessing on you, Abram. Because I love humanity, because I love creation. And this is how I'm coming after it. And what is that, what is the exact nature of that blessing? What's the blessing that he's pouring out on Abram? He's pouring out on Abram himself, the presence of God. That's the big blessing. I will be your God and you will be my people. We see this like literally in the tabernacle and then later in the temple where God resides. His presence resides in the Holy of Holies inside this temple. And so you've got to understand that this is the blessing. God is the blessing. And so Israel, what is your, what is your purpose? You are this conduit. You are, you are the mediating nation, the mediating people to take the blessing of God to the nations. Sort of like concentric circles. You have God specifically in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, on the earth, and then Israel, and then the nations. Israel, not intrinsically better than any other nation, but uniquely called by God for a specific purpose among the nations. Now, why do I share all that? Because that is the backstory to our story today. If we don't understand the history of creation and what God's been doing on the earth, we don't understand that, then today's story makes no sense. And we won't come away with the gold and the, and the nuggets of wisdom and glory that God wants to give us here. And Israel's going to face some judgment. We're going to see Christ step in because their purpose malfunctions. They fail to live out that purpose. and we see Christ come in in a beautiful display of glory to right their purpose. And so it's also a matter of us this morning not just understanding the story, but applying it. That we, now as the people of God, would understand our purpose on the earth. That we would not malfunction in how God has designed us and blessed us. So, The first point this morning, this is the first thing we see. Jesus curses a hypocritical, fruitless tree. Jesus curses a hypocritical, fruitless tree. Verse 12, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. So Jesus and the disciples are going back into Jerusalem. It's Passover week. Jesus is hungry. There's humanity on display here. And he sees off in the distance a, a tree and it's got leaves on it. Leaves, a fig tree blooming with leaves would indicate the blooming of fruit. It, it would correspond. That's the way the fig tree works. And so Jesus, he's, he's excited. I'm hungry. There's a fig tree with leaves. That must indicate the presence of fruit. Jesus gets a little bit closer. He inspects the tree, and there's no fruit. He can't satisfy his hunger. He curses the tree. It's like this gives a whole new definition to hangry. If you know what it means to be angry when you're hungry, this is is hangry on a next level. Like, whoa, Jesus. It's a very odd miracle. Causes a lot of people a lot of problems. It's, a, it's the only miracle, really, of, of destruction. Like, Jesus, have you lost your mind? Man, I mean, what did this tree do? You're cursing it. It seems very disproportionate. You're killing this tree because it wasn't in season. The reaction seems disproportionate. And like God, or Jesus, like we know you're God, We've seen you feed the 5,000. We've seen you do all these miracles. Like, why wouldn't you just produce life? Like, produce fruit on the tree. That would be a great miracle. And And then feed all the disciples. Maybe, unless there's something else Jesus is trying to do here. And he is trying to do something else. This is an object lesson. There's a lesson that he's trying to teach that's more valuable and more important than satisfying the hunger, and then that tree itself. He's got a lesson. And what happens often in the Bible is we get these sandwiches that help us figure out what the meaning is. And if you jump down to verse 20, 21, you see what happened. The disciples see that the tree has been withered. And so you have this gap of verses between when Jesus curses the tree and when they finally see that the curse has an act happened and the tree is withered, and you got all this text in between. So if the fig tree story is the bread, you got the meat in the middle, what we're about to talk about, and in that meat is the meaning of this object lesson. So that's where we're going. The second thing we see here, Jesus cleanses a hypocritical, fruitless temple. Jesus cleanses a hypocritical fruitless temple. Verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. As we've been talking, this is Passover I want you to just get the visual here. This is like madness. It puts any music festival concert you've ever been to to shame. Upwards of a million people just swarming into Jerusalem for Passover, for these sacrifices, to to worship God in this way. One one historian estimated that that over 200,000 lambs would be sacrificed. And that's lambs, never mind all the other sacrifices This is like a a carnival on the next level of, of worship going on. But when Jesus arrives and he sees it all, he's not excited. It's not a worship that he gets excited about. In fact, he's furious. Jesus is furious, he's enraged. Now, why is he enraged? We find that out in the verse following, verse 17. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. That text comes from Jeremiah seven, eleven. Similar rebuke. What it's saying is, My house... My temple, my blessing is for all the nations. It's for all the peoples of the earth. This is a house of, of welcome, a house of embrace, a house of blessing. where there's no barrier for all the nations to come in and receive the blessing in the presence of God to find reconciliation and relationship with their creator. That's what this house is doing. So that's how the temple, and why the temple is situated in the world is to do this. To proclaim the beauty and the power of God and the reconciliation that God provides. And this is all happening outside in the Gentile courts. It was the the last courts of the temple as you kind of progress into the Holy of Holies. This was supposed to be a place that was sacred. A place where the Gentiles had access God's not a tribal deity. It wasn't just about the Jews. He was blessing the Jews and blessing Israel, so that as they honored Him and obeyed His commands, they would be that blessing. But here, here in this uh, Gentile courts, like the Gentiles aren't even able to come in and really worship. They've, they've put up all these barriers. And so it's like Jesus saying, "Here you are, and you're not here for the nations. You're here robbing the nations." You're supposed to be making the nations rich in God. And you're making them poor in God. Meanwhile, you're pocketing. You're pocketing off of their spiritual need and hunger. The irony here is in extreme. This is extreme sin and hypocrisy. They had rigged the whole system. the, The religious elites So you got to come, you travel in all this distance to this temple and you have to have these perfect sacrifices that just measure just right and fit the right box in order for them to be accepted by all these high priests. And so the opportunity was ripe for these these people, for these religious elites to, to capitalize on that. Well, we're going to sell all the animals here. We know you don't want to carry animals all this distance. You want to buy the right animal? Buy them from us and then they would charge extreme prices. It would raise the prices. And they would pocket the difference. It was a rigged system in the selling of these animals, but also in the, in the money changers. You come in, well, you can't use your Gentile coin. You need to use the Jewish coin. So you need to convert your, your currency. You know, like you've ever been on, in a third world place, you need to go into that little shop and you need to get a conversion. And there's always a fee attached to that. It's a conversion fee. And again, these religious elites would maximize that fee. They would just raise it. You have to use Jewish coin here. Sorry. What else are you going to do? You want reconciliation with God, right? You need a sacrifice to God, so pay us a bunch of money. They were getting rich. I mean, Jesus calls them, you're a den of thieves, of, of robbers. You're hiding out here. It's been like a, like a refuge of robbers stealing from the nations. You see how opposite this is from the heart of God So polar opposite it is the mission that God gave through Abram Abraham Israel to the nations And they've gotten in the way They have erected barrier upon barrier upon barrier there's no blessing going out this way to the nations There's no worship here No worship No mediation, no presence of God, no reverence. All leaves, no fruit. Just a bunch of religious show. Looks great. Look at all the leaves popping out. But you get up close and you inspect it. There's no life there. There's no fruit coming off of there. No fruit that God can enjoy. No fruit that the nations can enjoy. No life giving fruit to sustain and cause humanity to flourish. It's a malfunctioning tree, just a bunch of show. And it's worth us pausing this morning. What does your individual life look like? What does the life of this church look like? Are we a bunch of leaves? When God gets up close and inspects us, when People out in our community come, get close to us and our families and come into our homes. Is it just leaves? Is it just a bunch of show? We're cashing in on Christianity. We we have formed a kink in the blessing, right? We're all happy that Lowe's came out with the never kink hose. Because hoses that kink malfunction, you just throw them in the trash. It's like, are we that conduit, that open conduit for God's blessing to come rushing through us? Or are we selfish and living for ourselves and our own self-glory? That's why Jesus is on fire. He's on fire. Psalm 69 says, zeal for his father's house will consume him. This one that's coming will be consumed for the temple. For his father's heart it will be consuming fire to him. And so Jesus is enraged rightfully. No fleshly wrong here in his anger. Unlike us, we get all kinds of bad motives when we get anger. Here, you're talking about holy, pure, holy love and passion for God and His glory here. And so Jesus steps in. The Holy One cannot sit by idle while this is happening in the temple. It's wrong. The nations are supposed to be being blessed. So Jesus steps in and He cleans house. And, and listen, church, this is, there's nothing pretty about this scene. We don't get a whole lot of details here, but there is nothing pretty or polite about this scene. It's a ma- I mean, it's full of people. It's full of tables with coins and people and animals. And this is like the time to make bank. I mean, if you're one of these, if you're one of these elites, like this is your week of the year to profit. You're budgeting for this. You're working this into your budget. This is your livelihood. So I don't think anybody's going out pretty easily here. Oh, oh Jesus, sorry, you want us to leave? We'll, we'll leave. We'll take all of our stuff. No, I think it's resistance. And he's coming, colliding with their kingdoms. And in passion, drive them out. They're leaving out of fear. And it's instructive to us. He's not only stepping in to right this wrong here, but then we see he stops people from walking through. They had had made it sort of like a highway. You could just get across town a little bit easier by cutting through the temple. And so he's preventing. He's stepping in to cleanse and to make right, but then he's preventing that wrong from happening again. It's instructive for us in the way that we need to step in where things aren't right, where there's injustices, God's word's not being fulfilled. We step in and cleanse and we step in to prevent. And this collision is real. And it's a collision with our kingdoms as well this morning. But we see it here in the text, verse 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. These kingdoms are colliding. They don't like what Jesus is doing. And he's gaining power because the crowds are liking his teaching. So Jesus is a threat to them and to their kingdom. It's like Drew talked about last week, these two clashes of kingdoms. They're unwilling to bow right now. They're fighting back. Let's seek a way to destroy him. Destroy him. Would we this morning be digging our heels in as we feel the Holy Spirit convict us of sin, convict us of living for our own kingdom, or, or are we going to surrender? To so realize, hey, Jesus, Jesus does not have to be a threat. He might be a threat to our flesh, but he's an absolute blessing to our spirits and to what we really, really want deep down inside. So finally, our third point here, Jesus calls for faith-filled, fruit-bearing prayer. Jesus calls for faith-filled, fruit-bearing prayer. Verse 20, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Again, here's the fig tree sandwich. Helps us see the meaning of the temple story. To summarize The fig tree is a picture of Israel. It failed to blossom with fruit, and so it's been cursed. As a scholar said, that the cleansing of the temple by Jesus is is in the same way a cursing of the temple. And what did it become? It's all done. Jesus is saying, this system is done. What y'all have turned it into is done. In fact, we would see that in A.D. 70, the entire temple is coming down. That's not where blessings ever going to come from again. It is done. And look at the response of Jesus. Verse 22, and Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, And it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. I got to be honest, this response of Jesus is pretty confusing. What are you talking about, Jesus? You don't explain the fig tree. You don't explain anything that's happening in the temple. And you just go on to talk about prayer. And it almost appears like, oh, you're now teaching us, hey, if we have enough faith, we can curse trees too. I mean, from the surface, that's what it looks like. He's teaching. Oh, you want to know how I did it to the fig tree? Have enough faith. You too, disciples can curse trees. But that doesn't sit right. Surely that's not what Jesus is teaching. He's talking about mountains here. The mountain is not the difficulty of cursing a fig tree. I think the mountain is in response to what just happened in the temple. Because a mountain, the way that they would have understood this language is a mountain is a hindrance. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get somewhere, and there's a big mountain in the way. I have to go around that mountain. It's a hindrance to get where I'm trying to go. It's a hindrance for something to, to move, to flow. And not just a hindrance, but an impossible hindrance, a seemingly impossible hindrance. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. I think this is what Jesus is trying to say. He's talking about the mountain of the the hindrance that is in the temple, that was in the temple. All these scribes and Pharisees and elites and this massive problem of the temple being turned into something it was never meant to do. So the the blessing of God was being kinked. It was not able to get to the nations. It's a big old mountain that needs to be moved. And Jesus is saying, you know how that mountain moves? You know how that hose gets unkinked? Have faith in God. Have faith in God. So I think he's in praying, as he's preparing them for what's about to happen. Right, like revelation is unfolding to the disciples, and so he is telling them to pray. This is not a blanket request to just hey pray for anything. No, it's specifically located, I believe, in what's happening, like with the with the temple. You're praying for the kingdom of God, not your personal comforts. Bear fruit. Pray for the thing that bear fruit, right? The whole topic, the whole subject of this text is bearing fruit for God. That's what Jesus is after. So I think the prayer has to be in context there and certainly as we read the rest of scripture, prayer is always submitted to the will of God. Does it mean when we pray for even even good prayers for the kingdom of God, does, does it mean that everything is gonna happen? No. But when we do pray for God's kingdom to come, It's going to come in his way, in his timing. We might receive answers that are no in this life for good and holy pursuits. But in the end, God's kingdom does advance. God's kingdom does come. I think what he's trying to get the disciples to see here and us maybe this morning is pursue God in prayer. Locate the hindrances for God's blessing and presence to flow in your own life, in your family, in your church, in this world, and pray for those things to be removed. And it's an emphasis on prayer. Like, this is the work. And it's great because all of us can pray. Maybe not all of us are called or can stand up and teach through the Bible or have that opportunity to do that in the church service, but everybody can pray. And Jesus is saying, this is how it happens right here. Pray for the mountains to be removed. And then finally, he says, and never forget, as we advance the kingdom of God, don't forget about your internal need. We don't ever move past this forgiveness. You need to be forgiven of your sins. And you need to forgive those that have wronged you. This is critical. He raises it so high that He says, hey, you may not be forgiven by your heavenly father if you do not forgive others. That's not a works righteousness. That's just, that's an equation for how the people of God are supposed to act. We are a forgiving people. We got hurt and pain in our life. We must forgive. If we are going to imitate our God in heaven who has forgiven us, we forgive. It doesn't matter the pain. It doesn't matter the offense. We are a forgiving people. And we're never to lose sight of that. It keeps us humble. As we remember our need for forgiveness as well. The, the, uh, the, the Pharisees and religious leaders, they had lost this internal reality. Everything was so external to them. They lost their need for God. Forgiveness really just not even something that they're paying attention to. So all the dots for the disciples are not yet connected. So where is this going? Where is Jesus leading us? Where is Mark leading us? He's leading us to the cross. This is Passover week. The themes that are colliding and converging right here are amazing and breathtaking. And I think the big lesson that Jesus is teaching them and us, the big mountain, The big mountain is sin. We have a much greater obstacle to the blessing of God than a bunch of tables with coins and people inside of a temple. That's the easy work, comparatively. We have a much greater obstacle than that. We have sin in our hearts, we have stony hearts. Wicked, rebellious hearts that stand in opposition to the blessing of God being enjoyed by us or by anybody else. That's a mountain. An impossible mountain. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. We can't cleanse ourselves. We can't remove that kink. But there is one who can. Jesus, he's here on Passover week because he is becoming the sacrifice of all sacrifices that every lamb throughout history of Israel was pointing to. Here is the perfect, unblemished lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For anybody who believes in him, forgiven, washed, regenerated, Born again of God, cleansed of sin, made pure. This is our Jesus. This is our Jesus. The veil is torn and the Holy of Holies is now given access. Every barrier to the presence of God has been removed. Every sin, every shame, every piece of suffering, every demonic or satanic attack, Satan himself, every single barrier that there exists between holy God and sinful man, has been removed through Christ and his sacrifice. There is now a highway for sinners to come and enjoy God. Israel and the temple could not do it. They could not bring the blessing to man. But Jesus can, and Jesus has What a savior, a faithful fruit-bearing savior that we have, this perfect lamb. He took the curse of sin on himself in our place so that we could go free. He hung on that cursed tree so that we, the cursed tree, the cursed fig tree could actually bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, he says in John. I'm the vine, you are the branches. We're not bearing fruit in our own strength today. We're bearing fruit, fruit because we are connected to him, because of his sacrifice. Have faith in God, he says. Look at me. Don't look at yourself. Disciples, don't look at your strength, your power. Look at me. I am God. I am bearing fruit through you. I am advancing the kingdom through you. And I was reminded this week just in study that our transgressions have been far removed. As far as the east is from the west. That the obstacles to God have been dumped into the sea. Praise God. Locate that this morning. Your sin, your trial... Satan in this world, and see it removed. Ask in faith. Not degrees of faith, but ask and have your confidence in God. It's not faith in faith, but faith in God. If you ask Him but forgive you of your sins, it doesn't matter. You're reaching out like a beggar. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You just open up your hand and say, Jesus, I want your kingdom. I trust in you as my Lord and as my Savior. He doesn't ask anything else from you. And that you bring your need. Praise God, we can be cleansed of all of our sin. And so Jesus is also pointing us to see himself, not as the sacrifice, but again, everything that the temple pointed to, that he is the one greater than the temple, the one to mediate the presence of God in our lives. We meet God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why no other religious leader can do this. No other religious leader or a pursuit of anything else can actually mediate God with sinful man. But the story continues, it doesn't end here. As we see in, in throughout the cross, the death, and then the resurrection of Jesus, his commission of the disciples, he ascends into heaven. He sends what? The Holy Spirit to come down and fill his church. And you see this, this, just sweeping display of glory throughout the biblical record. And when the Holy Spirit comes into the church, the New Testament gives the language of temple to the church. Jesus is the new temple, but then we and Jesus become that. It becomes our mission on the earth. It's very clear, Ephesians 2, 19, this is Paul. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You want some significance If you're a believer in Christ, you individually are the temple. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. But then as the church, we collectively are the temple of God, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Or 1 Peter, living stones being joined together, a holy priesthood, a holy nation. We are the fulfillment of everything God has been doing since the beginning in Adam and Eve. He's filling the earth with worshipers. And it used to be you would have to come to the temple, come to Jerusalem. But now Christ has come. He has brought the temple to us. And now we are going to the nations, bringing the temple to the nations, to our cul-de-sacs, to our neighbors overseas. The church is scattering across this globe, bringing the fragrance and the glory and the blessing, the presence of God to the nations. We, We get to do that. That's significance. That's purpose. What a glory that is. We invited into in this way in prayer, depending upon God and the Holy Spirit. We will bear fruit among the nations. The nations will eat. If we will go and we will serve and we will step in and we will speak, the nations will eat our Savior bearing fruit through our work. As we look forward to the day, it just keeps getting better, how the temple language just extends off into eternity. That there's coming a day where there will be manifestly so no more barrier, just the presence of Almighty God forever and ever for the people of God. The fullness of worship back into paradise with our God. Face-to-face communion with the Holy One. Through Jesus Christ, who will be praised both now and for the ages to come. May we step into that even now, church, as we pray, as we receive and enjoy God, and as we faithfully, in dependence upon His Spirit, take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you we have someone strong in heaven who can come and cleanse us, who can right every wrong, who can restore worship. We can come now and worship you, God, because of the work of your Son. We thank you. We worship you now. We ask for your forgiveness. God, we are sinners. We acknowledge that. We failed to live out your commands. We failed to be a conduit. We failed to take your blessing to the world. We ask forgiveness. God, we ask even now, God, would you forgive those that have wronged us? And we forgive them now in your presence. Forgive those. As Jesus even prayed, forgive them for they know not what they do, even while he was on the cross. God, as we enjoy right relationship with you, would you give us the grace, God, that we would not allow the blessing to terminate on us. That like Abraham and the call to Abraham, we would see that we are blessed so that that blessing may extend through our lives. God, that faith and salvation would spring up across this globe. God, for unreached people groups who've never heard of Jesus, God, would the the word of Jesus and the gospel proclamation get to their ears? God, would you raise up workers? Would you build churches? Would you plant churches? Would you extend your kingdom now, God? Advance your people. May this globe and humanity bear fruit for you, God. You are worthy of it all, God. We sacrifice our lives for this mission. You are worthy. You are worthy of it all. We give you all praise. As we stare down a cross, we take it up gladly. For we have a Savior in heaven who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We do likewise, God, that we may enjoy life with you and your people forever. Oh, God, would the nations come pouring in so that on that final day, God, there would be no reason for us to be ashamed, but we would look around at this throne, your throne, where every tribe and language and tongue would be around it singing praise to you, God. And we would know that we did not close off the blessing of God to others, to others that speak differently than us, that look differently than us, God, what a failure that is to live out the gospel if we would hold the blessing in that way. May we delight to extend the gospel beyond boundaries of pain and confusion and hurt and difference. May we go so that throne may be well surrounded by all those people that look so much not like us, God singing one unified song to our risen, reigning Savior who stands like a lamb lamb who has been slain. May you receive all the glory among the nations. In your name we pray. Amen.